Let's get to Sarah Palin. I wrote a message of the day on BillOReilly.com. Anybody can read that. You don't have to be a premium or concierge member to read the message. It's posted every day, every morning. And in the message, I basically said, look, we don't have a civil justice system. And if you have ever been in it, you know that's true. So in order to bring suit against somebody who harms you grievously, you've got to have a half million dollars to pay your lawyers. At least you get into a child custody, a divorce, go into the millions. Okay? And then there are these arcane rules uh, that Sarah Palin ran up against. So there's no question that the New York Times defamed Sarah Palin. That's not a question. All right? You can't link the former governor of Alaska, to a horrendous shooting in Arizona and say you are not defaming her. It's absurd. So here's what I said partially in a message. Quote, a New York City jury rejected Palin's lawsuit unanimously, saying the New York Times did not act with malice. The threshold famous people have to prove in order to win damages in civil court. Not act with malice? What other reason would there be? to link the conservative Palin with the shooting. What motivation would a liberal newspaper have to connect a totally innocent person with a heinous act if not to be malicious, unquote? I am a simple man. I see it in a very straightforward way. Of course, Sarah Palin was defamed, but because The civil law says you have to prove a media organization acted with malice. The jury goes, well, they apologized, which they did after the fact, but Palin was still smeared. Okay, this is just insane. So I searched around for a guy who knows a lot about not just the Palin case, but about the Durham case, too. And I found an Irishman, always a good thing, John O'Connor. He's a former federal prosecutor. He represented as an attorney, Mark Felt. Remember Mark Felt? That was deep throat in the Watergate situation. And Mr. O'Connor represented him. Uh, He wrote a book called Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Mr. O'Connor joins us now from Stinson Beach in Northern California. Okay, so did I say anything that doesn't jive with the law about Sarah Palin? No, you did not, Bill. And let me tell you this. And by the way, it's good to talk to another Irishman. Uh, I don't know if both of us can talk at once, but we'll try it. Uh, but, uh, But as to Sarah Palin, the standard for malice is either intentionally publishing a falsehood or with reckless disregard for the truth. And I cannot see why what the Times did was at least the definition of reckless disregard of the truth. The guy had no idea, he said, whether that was true or not, that there was a link to the political uh, incitement here. And yet, hey, it's late at night. I want to get the conservatives and blame them for the shooting of Republicans, the Steve Scalise shooting. shooting. So they wanted this editorial in the worst way to point the finger at conservatives. It's late at night. And so why not just say, hey, she's guilty of inciting, you know, six murders and a maiming. What the heck? Okay, let, uh, let me just clarify something. It, 
the the testimony from the from the New York Times editorial writer was basically that there was in this country um, the feeling that Steve Scalise, the congressperson from Louisiana, who was shot by a liberal man on a softball field, that that liberal was incited by conservative actions. And so this guy in his, I don't know, confused mind said, you know, the same thing's happening to Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman in Arizona who got shot. That was incited by Sarah Palin's pack. And there's absolutely no evidence. And what he pointed to was ridiculous. So you're absolutely right that there were, of course, there was uh, irresponsibility at the highest level. And that legally can turn into malice, right? Right. And let me read something, Bill. Uh, additionally, a reporter made this reckless statement before Bennett made his reckless statement about the incitement. Here's the statement. Miss Palin's pack, quote, put Miss Gifford and 19 other Democrats under stylized crosshairs. That was false. Sarah Palin's pack had targeted districts had targeted a map, right. but not they, the they, individual they Democrats. A, That's the big difference. They took a graphic that had nothing to do with any kind of violent behavior or anything like that. It was a political graphic. Okay. So the, the jury uh, reaches this conclusion that the New York Times did not act maliciously toward Palin. And so the Times gets off. But the message really is there isn't any justice in civil court. And I, and I, in the message of the day, I hope everybody reads it on BillOReilly.com, I point to my case with Al Franken. And, and I was re it was absurd what happened there. But am I wrong? Can you expect justice in civil court in the United States, Counselor? Well, Bill, let me tell you this. Uh, the jury was debating this thing. They've been out for over a day. Uh, the court did not, while they're debating whether or not there is actual malice, proof of malice, Judge Rakoff announces to the entire world that he says there's absolutely no evidence of malice. Now, he did not go into the jury room and tell them that. They heard but it. But he told about sequestered. a billion people that. They weren't sequestered. Right. They went home. They heard it. They knew that the judge That's threw right. it out before their verdict was in. Well, that's going to help Palin if she appeals, though. That'll help her. All I right, let's get on. Hell, Bill. Let's go. Uh, let's get on to the Durham thing. So I just want to sure. recap the history here. So as I said in 1972, um, the Watergate plumbers, uh, so-called plumbers, broke in to the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate Hotel in D.C. And their goal was to rifle all the files and then to plant bugs so that the uh, committee to reelect Richard Nixon. Uh, the acronym is CREEP, okay, um, could hear what the Democrats were saying. Big scandal. People went to jail. Richard Nixon had to resign. Everybody who follows history knows what happened. So here we have the Trump campaign being spied upon by people working for getting money from the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. So you would think it's pretty much the same, right, Counselor? Well, actually, in fact, and that's what I write about in Postgate, the Post falsely claimed that this was a campaign operation and there was campaign cash used. It was not a campaign operation and the Post knew that. But the public, of course, it had resonance with the public because the public does not like unfair electoral uh, 
actions, uh, unfair and illegal. And that's why Nixon got tossed out of office. So you're correct, Bill. That's what the public thought. And I, in my book, I talk about how the Post hid the truth. Nixon was still scratching his head. He didn't know what the heck had happened, but he obstructed justice at John Dean's urging. Yeah, after the now, fact, in, he did bad things. Who, who essentially paid for the plumbers to go in there? Who ordered that? Well, it was, it was paid for out of campaign funds. But as I talked about in my book, Postgate, it was mainly the CIA had infiltrated the White House through uh, Howard Hunt. McCord had infiltrated the uh, committee to reelect the president. Uh, they pulled money out, I think, at John Dean and Jeb Magruder's behest, but it was not for a campaign purpose. It was to listen to naughty men talking to naughty girls and getting dirt on them. The CIA wanted so that. It was a Dean wanted it for his own purpose. Okay. It was a blackmail operation. Right. All right, right. Now, the press was all over Watergate. They couldn't get enough of it. It made the reputations of journalists. One of the reasons I am a journalist was because of that. I said, wow, look at this story. I'd like to be involved in investigating things like that. Now, the press doesn't really have any curiosity at all uh, about this uh, Durham situation. Why? Well, the Post, because of Watergate, understood its power not only to hype a scandal, but also to suppress it. Witness the Hunter Biden thing. They suppressed that beautifully. Nothing happened. They have great power. They exercise that power in partisan ways. And that's what we have today, Bill. And so right. in the Durham thing. I think thing, that's a succinct definition. And also because they pushed the Russian collusion uh, every single day. You know, isn't it interesting how aggressively all the newspapers, all the network news, CNN, MSNBC, pushed the bogus Russian collusion story every single day. All right. In every single way. And now you have another story on the other side that said they trumped this up, pardon a pun, and they're not interested at all. I think that pretty much says it all about the corrupt corporate media council. I'll give you the last word. Oh, yeah. They're covering up one of the greatest scandals in American history, the worst. It's terribly sinister. They use the FBI, which in turn lied to the FISA court 17 times by its own inspector general's admission. And then they used other means to spy on Trump and then cook up these false stories of treason. Is there anything worse than that? And they did it for political advantage, both during the campaign and to discredit Trump's presidency. There's nothing worse than this scandal bill far outstrips Watergate yeah. in terms of its sinister nature. OK, and I, I am confident that Durham is going to put it out there, whether there will be, you know, convictions. I don't know. But I think. By the end of the next year, we'll know what exactly happened. Counselor, thanks very much for helping us out. We uh, hope to talk to you again. Thank you. The Super Bowl interview with President Biden, and that is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. So uh, Lester Holt, the NBC anchor, who is an uh, honest man but does bend to Comcast, the company that pays him. Um, I say that because I know Lester. I worked with him at WCBS-TV. I think he's had a very distinguished career. He deserves uh, his platform as the anchorman of the NBC Nightly News. He deserves that. Um, he did the interview in Virginia on Thursday. Uh, they broke it out. Lester used some of it on his show, and then it was on NBC. And then I didn't even know what time it was on a Super Bowl because NBC didn't care about this. I think they ran it. 3.30 or so Eastern time? I don't even know. I mean, it was nothing like when I did my three interviews with the presidents on Super Bowl Sunday, which were events. 
This was kind of like, all right, you know, we got it. But there were three sound bites in the interview that caught my eye. I'm going to play them for you and analyze them one by one. All right. The first one is fairly self-explanatory. Go. On the subject of American citizens, I have to draw your attention to that Army report, an investigative report that's come out about the lead up to the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It, it interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who are in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to you? No. No, that's not what I was told. That you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared, they knew it was time to get out? No, what I was told, no one told me that, look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. No one told me. That's pretty frightening. He's the commander in chief. No one told me. I mean, I knew. <laughs> I knew that the Taliban was sweeping down. I think you knew if you watched me or anything else, everybody, but no one told me that the Taliban was taking province after province after province and sweeping down toward Kabul. But no one, no one told me. I mean, it really is a dangerous situation now that we are encountering with President Biden. He is the commander in chief of the armed forces. No one told me. All right, the second soundbite I, I picked out for you um, is about inflation, which is really harming uh, working class Americans. And I say that because wealthy Americans can afford the extra bump to buy gas and food and clothing and everything else. But working class people can't. Roll the tape. I think it was back in July you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, and I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the uh, let's look at the reasons for the inflation. The reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, the lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function. They need those computer chips that were not available. That is not the reason inflation ignited in this country. <clears throat> so, again, I mean, he's living in a fantasy world. The reason inflation blew up is very, very simple. And if you think back to 13 months ago, the last month President Trump was in office, there were no inflationary prospects. And we had the same situation with COVID. So Biden's blaming COVID, oh, supply side, we couldn't get this, we couldn't get that. Same thing under Trump. But there was no inflation under Trump. What was the difference? Oil, gas, energy. That was the difference. So the first day in office, President Biden stopped the Keystone Pipeline. You remember that? What you don't know and what I don't even know is these regulations that the federal government put on the transportation and access to gas and oil in this country. We don't know all those regulations. They aren't put out there. But there were scores of them that made it difficult to market fossil fuel energy in this country. So he knocks out 
the pipeline, which takes gas uh, from Canada and gets it down in New Orleans, where it can be processed and then distributed here and overseas, that's done. And then he chips away at all of the other infrastructure for fossil fuel. And because of fewer amounts of gas and oil, the price went up. All right. And when the price of transportation goes up, people driving products to market, people making things, everything else follows. That is what happened. Now, Biden doesn't know that. It's not that he's lying. He doesn't know why Afghanistan collapsed or why there's inflation. Everything is expensive these days. You know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings, against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD. Or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD. Or text GOLD to 65532. See, I'm trying to get this across to you that it's no longer a deceit. They're trying to fake you out. They're trying to lie to you. He doesn't know. And people around him understand they can't teach him. So they give them one or two things to go out and spit out as propaganda. Well, we had to get out of Afghanistan like that. We, we had to do it. If not, oh, millions or thousands or somebody would have been killed. Uh, you know, oh, no, no, no. Inflation is because of cars, new cars. They couldn't get the parts. Whoa. You see? You see what I'm talking about? Okay. Here's the third one. <clears throat> Again, on inflation. Go. So when do you, when, when can Americans expect some relief from this soaring inflation? According to Nobel laureates, 14 of them that contacted me and a number of corporate leaders, it's ought to be able to start to taper off as we go through this year. You, you came here to Virginia, um, a, a swing district, to talk about uh, prescription drug prices, Build Back Better. What do you see in Build Back Better that gives you confidence it can still happen? What, what has changed, if anything? Well, I don't think anything has changed. It's that uh, um, people are now realizing what is in Build Back Better. You know, for example, there's cancer drugs that we have here in the United States that cost 14 bucks, $14,000 a month. In France, the same exact manufacturer, the same exact drug costs $7,000. So we get this, again, befuddlement where he says 14 Nobel laureates have contacted me to tell me inflation might level off this year. 
But what about your people? What about <clears throat> your economic team? You need people from outside who I'm sure all 14 hate Donald Trump and Republicans. I'm positive of that. That's who you're going Well, they, they tell me. So nobody told me about uh, Afghanistan, but, and, but these guys are telling me inflation might, might come down this year. But I don't know. My team doesn't know. We're not doing anything to make it come down. <laughs> it's just... So when you have this kind of a situation where there are problems that need to be solved and they're not going to be solved because he doesn't know how to solve them, and neither do his people, then you're going to have a continuation of the promise. And that's what the big thing was in the Lester Holt NBC interview. He doesn't know. Now, Holt never in a million years frame it that way. I mean, he could have easily followed up on, well, what Nobel laureates called you, what did they say? Right? That's what I would have done if some president told me, well, inflation's going to come down this year because 14 Nobel laureates told me. I said, okay, who are they? And what did they tell you? <laughs> you think Biden could tell you who they were? He couldn't. Uh, here is a big story that was ill-covered. So on Friday, before the Super Bowl, late in the afternoon, it was announced by the Justice Department that Special Counsel John Durham, looking into Russian collusion, had come to the conclusion that Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign paid an Internet company to infiltrate, that means bug, servers at Trump Tower and the White House in order to link Donald Trump to Russia. That is a conclusion that Durham has reached. Now. Hillary Clinton is going to say, just like Biden says, nobody told me. I didn't know. I didn't know. But John Podesta, the head of the Clinton campaign, he had to know. So is he going to be arrested, indicted? What's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen. Now, did you hear about this story? Because very, very few people reported it, including right-wingers. So in New York State, where the Trump Tower is, it is against the law. It is a felony to bug a private home or business. Okay? Felony. Where's the uh, New York Attorney General or the Manhattan District Attorney? Where are they? Oh, no, 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 no. We're investigating the Trump Organization for falsely... Uh, okay. So uh, I asked my crack staff, look, do me a search and find out who reported this on Friday. Varney and Company on Fox Business, Richard Grinnell on Newsmax, Steve Hilton on Fox News, Fox and Friends on Weekend, and Fox uh, business person Maria Bartiromo on the weekend. That's it. We couldn't find anybody else. Now, here's a guy I'm going to bring in now who knows a lot about this, been devoting his life to it. His name is John Solomon. You, you know him. Uh, he's the CEO and editor-in-chief of Just the News, and I recommend everybody go there and check it out. John comes to us from Washington, D.C. So do you anticipate any arrests in this Durham thing? 
I do. We already have three people that have been indicted, and I, there's clearly an ongoing criminal investigation. And the more John Durham drops these hints in these court filings like he did this weekend, the more you realize he's looking at a potential conspiracy between a law firm, Perkins Coie, which was hiring all the different people that were putting the Russia, the bad Russia narrative together. Uh, uh, Christopher Steele's hired by them. Michael Sussman's a lawyer for them. He's taking bad dope over to the FBI. And then you have these computer researchers that are going out there and trying to find little fragments of stuff called DNS lookups and try to make a case that Donald Trump was in bed with Russia. Now, it's important to note that John Durham says most of the computer experts said, ha, oh, this is bogus. It's going to be hard to defend this. But they put it together anyways. And then uh, Michael Sussman, a lawyer for Hillary Clinton, walks that into the FBI. And when he doesn't get what he wants from the FBI, he walks it into the CIA two or three months later. That is a conspiracy. It involves a lot of different people, including somebody you, you mentioned in your monologue, Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan in October 2016 was putting this story out there as the national security advisor to the Clinton campaign saying, look, there's proof that Donald Trump's been colluding with Russia at the moment that's out there. A lot of people are saying it wasn't true inside the Clinton campaign. All right. Now, this is very similar to Watergate. So the Watergate burglars went into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. All right. They rifled through to trying to get information to help the Nixon reelection. Now we have people at the behest of the Clinton 2016 presidential campaign going into Trump Tower and planting bugs. So this is like, OK, so where's the Washington Post on this? You made your name on Watergate. Where are you on this? All right. Nowhere. Um, Nowhere. Right. So I'm a, I'm a simple man, as you know, John, uh, I'm I'm. I don't want to get in the weeds. Uh, I want to know if this, if Durham says this is true, and he clearly said it was, because he yeah. wouldn't have put it out if he, well, we don't really know. He said it was. No, he so was if this is true, all right, then what is the Justice Department going to do about it? All right, so you can obviously bring people in. Uh, FBI can round them up, come on in. You testify, you lie to a federal agent. That's a felony, as we all know. And it is to the point now where every responsible news agency should be investigating this on their own. But yeah. there's no action. None. No. Okay. Uh, because, yeah. I think there's a good reason for it, Bill. The Go media ahead. were so culpable in spreading this false story at the beginning. They can't own up to the fact that they got taken to the cleaners. So they continue to ignore these bombshell revelations because they were complicitous. Yeah, because they helped the, it. Yeah, they, they, they did. fed the bogus uh, storyline. But did. it is an, an amazingly important story. Now, it you've is. been also reporting on Liz Cheney and Hunter Biden. <laughs> Give me a minute. All I want is 60 seconds. You tell yep. the folks why you're reporting on a Liz Cheney, Hunter Biden connection. Go. Yeah. Well, listen, Hunter Biden represented China and Kazakhstan while his father was vice president trying to cash in and make big money. While Liz Cheney was releasing the House Republicans report on China, saying that we all as Americans need to stand up for China, make some sacrifices because they pose a generational threat, her husband's law firm was representing, oh, several companies in, uh, in China, including two that the State Department and the Pentagon warned were uh, acting against right, American so Let me interests. stop you. Let me stop you. Yep. So Liz Cheney's sure. pounding China. Meanwhile, yep. our husband's making money from Chinese companies. All right. That allegedly are harming the United States. Where That's does right. Hunter Biden come in? 
Well, it was the same two countries that Hunter Biden targeted that her husband uh, targeted as well. Uh, Kazakhstan and China were two of the big cash cows that Hunter Biden focused on while uh, uh, his dad was in, in office and focusing on policy. Uh, Liz Cheney talks about both of those countries regularly as regimes that need to be targeted and, and pushed back. And what happens? Her husband's making money off them. The parallels are, listen, Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden wasn't working with Liz Cheney's husband, but the same modus operandi. Someone has a policy responsibility. Someone else in their family is making money off the policy responsibility. All right, I see. You're saying, look, this is just not Liz Cheney, but the Bidens did it yeah. too. All right, so I'm going to be on John's uh, network, Just the News, tomorrow night. Happy to do it. And, uh, John, I hope you'll come back when you get information, particularly about this Russian collusion thing, which I start to see now um, has to take on momentum. It has to. I agree. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Convention of States. All right. Now, I got a lot of mail on this. I'm going to explain it to you. Again, this is why you need pen and paper. And then we're going to bring in a guy who's running a Convention of States, if it happens. Okay. So philosophically, founding fathers, all that, a convention of states allows the individual states to address the growing tyranny in Washington. All right. So we certainly have that. So Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution gives states the power to call a convention of states to propose new amendments to the Constitution. Article 5. All right. It takes 34 states to agree through their state legislatures and governor to participate in a convention of states. Currently, 17 states have agreed. They are Nebraska, Wisconsin, Mississippi, Georgia, Alaska, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Indiana, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arizona, North Dakota, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, Utah. Now, you don't see any blue states on that list. Okay? You know, Wisconsin, back and forth, um, but they're basically traditional states. Well, why would, the, why would the blue states not participate in this? So, they need 17 more states to get a convention. Okay? Um, eight others are considering it, uh, and they've one, one house has approved it. So it's getting close, but it still needs more support. Now, what happens if they want to change things, like term limits? All right, so we don't have term limits for federal elected officials. I like term limits. I bet you you do. So let's get term limits. Well, you would have to get 38 states to ratify the amendment that there should be term limits and then say what they were 38 states if 38 states did that all right then it becomes part of the constitution you would go around congress and the president 38 states said no no, we want it okay we're going to certify we want it then it becomes law which is the power of a convention of states Joining us now from Austin, Texas, Mark Meckler. He is the president of the Convention of States. Very impressive. All right. So did I describe that accurately? Did I leave anything out that's important? No, you nailed it, Bill. That was perfect. Okay. 
So now you are working to convince 17 more states to sign on. How's that going? Yeah, it's going really well. In fact, I'll be leaving tonight for South Carolina. We'll be having a House hearing there. I expect that we'll, uh, sorry, a Senate hearing. I expect we'll get that done. We've already passed in the House, so the Senate is next. From there, we'll go to West Virginia. We have supportive leadership in both houses in West Virginia. I expect we'll get that done in the next several weeks. North Carolina has already passed their House pending in the Senate. I expect we'll get that done when they come back into session in May. Iowa looks very good this year, potentially Ohio and Pennsylvania as well. So we got a lot of states lining up for this session. But it sounds to me like you're two years, maybe three years away. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. All right. So maybe coinciding with the next presidential election, you would have a convention of states. But California is never going to show up. New York won't show up. Illinois won't show up. Massachusetts certainly will not. Some of the New England states, like New Hampshire, I think might, Maine. Um, but the states that don't show up, say you get your 34, all right, that means 16 states are sitting it out. Not going to hurt you. Well, I just want to correct something. I think you are correct that a lot of those states will not pass resolutions calling for a convention of states. But when the convention convenes, it's what's called a general convention. And I expect all of those states will show up, if nothing else, to try and throw sand into the gear. So I expect they'll all show up. Also would like to point out that in Massachusetts this last week, that uh, resolution passed out of an overwhelmingly Democrat committee, a committee that was 14-3 Democrat to Republican we got the votes, it passed out of committee, and it's now going to the floor. So I think we're going to start seeing some movement on the left towards this as well. That would be interesting. All right, because you do need 38 states to pass whatever you propose for it to become part of the Constitution. Give me the top three things that a convention of states would want to get into the Constitution. Sure. So there are three subject matter areas here. One is fiscal restraints on the federal government. So that would include the most popular a balanced budget amendment supported by about 85% of the American public polled the last 30 years. That could also include tax limitations and spending caps. Number two would be imposing term limits on federal officials. And it's important we use the term officials. It's not just Congress. That would also potentially apply to bureaucrats and staffers, what you and I now know as the deep state. And then finally would be what we call scope and jurisdiction restrictions on the federal government. And that would involve going back to something more like the enumerated powers telling the federal government, no, you cannot be involved in education, you cannot be involved in healthcare. This is really the restraining element of the convention. Uh, and I would add just kind of a, a tasty tidbit for the end. We can restrain the federal government and tell them that they cannot add more seats to the United States Supreme Court. Okay, um, that would be worthy, that's for sure. I don't think you're gonna get the third one um, where the federal government would be banished from giving block grants to education and police agencies. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think you got a really good shot at a balanced budget amendment, which means that the government could not spend more than it takes in, all right, and term limits. Term limits, I think, is the strongest one. And then, uh, but with the red states and the states that, you know, really don't like this progressive socialism, they're going to want the balanced budget amendment. And so I think you got a good shot at that. Would that be an accurate uh, appraisal of where you are now? Yeah, I think that's very accurate, Bill. It's interesting. There are some other easy ones that aren't talked about a lot that I think can come into play. One would be something called a single subject amendment. The majority of states have this. 
to prevent these 2,000-page monstrosity bills where legislators are forced to vote on good things or they get bad things with the good things. It's really right. unclear. So a single subject amendment is one I would throw in there as well as I like an easy that. pass. I like that a lot because that my legislation, Kate's law, would have been passed. And that was Mitch McConnell killed that. It wouldn't, he kept attaching it to bills he knew were going to die. Um, if you had it straight up and down, it would have passed. All right, finally, um, when you get the convention of states, and I'm taking an optimistic view because I think it's a good thing, who goes? Who shows up from the states? Because this would take a long time. It would almost be like the Continental Congress. You have to get guys and, and women sitting there for many, many months, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so this is one of the things I love most about the process is that it's very federalist in nature. In other words, the states will decide who goes on behalf of each state. And it's the state legislatures that choose their delegations. Each state gets one vote, but they can send as many delegates as they like. I imagine they'll send economists and political scientists and Lord knows who California will send, but they will choose their delegations however the legislature sees fit and ultimately get one vote per one state. Okay, good. All right, keep us posted, Mr. Meckler. It's very kind of you to help us out tonight. We are interested in this story, and thanks for appearing with us. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here. Okay. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. All right, now, when I was working at Fox... Every year, they would have the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and, and they would broadcast it, okay? And then there were big-name comedians, all of whom were left-wing, and the presidents often showed up. If not the president, then the vice president showed up. I went and I gave a lot of money to the charity which the White House Correspondents' Association supports, which was education uh, in the D.C. area you know, minority education, things like that. And I was happy to do it, and I have to be honest, I had a good time at the, uh, at the dinner because I usually invited people that caused uh, panic, like Donald Trump. Before he ever got into politics, I invited him to dinner. It was hysterical. It was a riot. And he walks in with me, it was like, oh, like this. And I met everybody from the rapper Ludacris, who had a long talk with, uh, to Katy Perry, very nice, you know, and to, uh, just droves of people were there. And I look forward to it. Now it's a disaster. Like everything else in the media, it's collapsed. So um, this year, they're having Trevor Noah. You know this guy? He hosts The Daily Show. Nobody watches The Daily Show. 
350,000 viewers a night. More people watch me in my own agency and listen to me than listen to this guy. And, um, you know, it's like, why is Trevor Noah a far left fanatic hosting this thing? That knocks out all the even moderate people. And it was just like crazy. Why are you doing this? You want to raise money for poor kids? You don't do it that way. Now, I don't care. I'm not going. I would never go again. It's just not in the cards anymore. But you just, it's ridiculous. And I know you don't care. I'm just venting now. (laughs) And I know you don't care about the Oscars either. Because nobody cares about the Oscars. So they finally got some hosts, three women, very inclusive, Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, Regina Hall. There they are. I'm sure they'll do a great job. Uh, I actually met Wanda Sykes, very, very charming and funny. I don't know the other two. Um, But nobody's going to watch this. Real quick, what was the best picture of the year last year? Come on, where, what was it? Nomad Land. Didn't see it. Did you see it? I heard it was good, but I didn't see it. Okay. Now, why has the Academy Awards collapsed? Why won't anybody host it? Nobody, they invited a ton of people to be the host, and nobody will do it. Now, you remember back to days when Bob Hope did it, Johnny Carson did it, Letterman did it. It was kind of a disaster, but, you know, there were big, big, it was a big deal. Everybody watched it. 60, 70 million people would watch. Now, nobody's even seen any of these movies. Licorice Pizza. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. But the main thing is that Hollywood is no longer attractive to the American people. Why? One word. Smugness. S-M-U-G-N-E-S-S. They are, generally speaking, the performers, the celebrities in Hollywood, smug. And there is nothing more obnoxious, particularly when you don't know anything. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, final thought of the day. You know, we all um, are sinners. We all make mistakes. Some of us make big mistakes. And uh, some of us cannot forgive ourselves. Okay? Now, in my religion, Roman Catholicism, we have confession, penance. As you know, you go in, you confess your sin. The philosophy of the Catholic Church is that every human being can be forgiven no matter how heinous 
the act they committed is. Okay, but you have to be really sorry. And in order to demonstrate that, you have to give restitution. So in your life, if you've done something terrible, you've got to try to make amends. And that could come in a million different ways. Now, a lot of times pop into my mind bad things that I've done in my past. And I'm embarrassed because I shouldn't have done them. And I know better now. And some of them, most of them weren't. I didn't, I didn't know I was doing bad when I was doing it, but it, it didn't wind up good. And I should have known it was bad. So there's no excuse that I didn't know. But I try to make amends to people that I've hurt or, or things that, you know, I've done I shouldn't have done. I try, you know, I try to. Now, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't do it. But the only way you can forgive yourself, and I have, and, and that's an important thing. You've got to forgive yourself. Because if you don't, then you start to loathe yourself. And that leaves to self-destructive behavior. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't want to do that pinheady stuff. Just know this. Everybody has done bad things. You've got to forgive yourself. And the way to do that is restitution. Thank you for watching and listening tonight. We will see you tomorrow.